Welcome to the Tell Me More podcast. This week we're going to be talking about movies and TV shows, particularly Star Trek Beyond, The Suicide Squad, and Stranger Things, a Netflix original series that just came out and is already getting a huge thumbs up from the social media crowd. So this should be a good show, guys. Welcome to the Tell Me More podcast. I'm your host, Mac Moore, and as I said in the little brief intro before this, we're going to be talking about movies, TV shows, not too much. Mostly, we're bringing on Nick Adams, screenwriter out in LA. How's it going, Nick? It's going great. Thanks for having me back on the show. You're, you're my expert, which is why we're going to be talking about Star Trek Beyond, and all I did was I rewatched the first two. I never made it out to Star Trek Beyond. I'm scared of movie <laughs> theaters. Uh... So we're going to have you come on and talk about what, what do you think of the Star Trek series? And you can take uh, that question however you may. What do you think of Star Trek Beyond? Well, considering you haven't seen the movie, you'll probably be most surprised that they reveal in the third one that actually uh, Captain Kirk, played by Chris Pine, is made up of two four, fourth graders stacked on top of each other. Uh, so it was a pretty big plot twist. They've been hinting at that for both movies. So, I mean, I'm glad they finally got to it. It was taking a while. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that finally, that finally came up. Yeah. And, uh, in Spock dating Uhura and he kind of creeps on her a little bit. He's, you know, puts a planting device on her so he can track where she goes. And that I did not make up. Huh. I mean, it sounds logical. So, I mean, so I, do, says, I do that with my girlfriend. So, yeah, so every ex-boyfriend says that that <laughs> was logical. So, watching the movie, I know mm-hmm. you were a big fan when Star Trek came out. Uh, how did you feel about the second one, and then how did you feel about Star Trek Beyond? Well, I definitely felt like I was one of the few Star Trek original series fans that liked the reboot. Uh, I thought it, you know, it was engaging, it was fun. I thought J.J. Abrams did a nice job of making Star Trek entertaining. And so that was cool. And then even the second one, when we're talking about Star Trek Into Darkness, a lot of people had problems with the capitalization of Into, or whether it was Star Trek colon Into Darkness. It was very, very confusing for the grammar nerds out there. But as a whole, I liked it with the, you know, kind of overplayed Khan a little bit. I didn't have a problem with it fundamentally, but the idea that he could, you know, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch could turn around and be like, my name is Khan. Bum, bum. There's no reason that the other characters would care at all that his name is Khan instead of Harrison or whatever his damn name was. Yeah. But... Uh, and then, of course, it didn't really make any sense that they tried to one-up the con screen because you had Zachary Quinto like holding Chris Pine's dead body and he's screaming, con! But at no point did we have to think that it was actually con that killed Kirk. And so the screen didn't really make that much sense. Opposed to the original con, you know, with William Shatner, it did make sense. Even the overacting element of it, because in that movie, he's screaming at Khan that he's being deserted on a planet, but it's all a ruse. Captain Kirk is acting. And so it actually, you know, the overacting made sense within that movie, Wrath of Khan. Again, it was a detail, and I let it go. I liked it. Uh, Star Trek Beyond here, not a big fan of. I thought the volunteer aspect of the journey that all the characters are just bored and they say, Hey, here's a really dangerous rescue mission. Do you want to go on this mission? Nobody's forcing you. And they say, yeah, okay, let's go do it. Kind of lessens the drama much like you saw in the Hobbit movies and how that was kind of worse than Lord of the Rings was because ultimately it was like, Hey, Bilbo, do you want to go on this journey? No pressure. If he says, yeah, okay. Then it's harder to feel bad for him when things spiral out of control. That's fair. Uh, I, one of the things I'd wonder about the next thing first, I'm just going to call you a William Shatner overacting apologist. But uh, <laughs> the the second thing there is... There are dozens of us. There are dozens. dozens. Of yeah, us. yeah. Uh, all of them work in L.A., I guess. Uh, so the big thing with uh, this film was director Justin Lin uh, basically... 
it, it was throwing shade at the other big franchises, uh, you know, the Marvel Universe, the DC Extended Universe that they're trying to start doing right now. He had said that basically he wasn't like anything that happened in Into Darkness. He wasn't going to like backtrack on that, but he also wasn't going to need to expand on that because he was making his own standalone film. And, you know, you can look at the interview. The way I read it was basically it was kind of throwing shade at the other uh, movies that are just one after another rolling out a preview for the next movie. As we saw in uh, Batman vs. Superman, it was basically just a Justice League trailer that was three hours, well, two and a half in Mm -hmm. uh, theatrical release. Uh, So what do you think of that? Was uh, Well, one, I guess I have to ask you, at the end of Into Darkness, they talk about a five-year journey and it's never been done before. Mm -hmm. Is beyond that five-year journey or did they Uh, just like waste my time by doing that sell at the end of the movie it starts the beginning of beyond is like okay we're three years into this mission okay and so they're three years into the mission and they're all feeling kind of bored uh the relationships have all kind of evolved but hit kind of a stagnation and so in an effort to try to bring up morale and energy and fun, they take a dangerous rescue mission. So that at least they didn't abandon it. That was the, one of the things I was worried about. Even watching the end of Into Darkness, I was like, I swear to God, if they don't explain this five-year mission, because they don't yeah, give it, you anything. And in, in it, in, it is a complete standalone movie. There's no reason to think that you couldn't just skip Into Darkness for some reason. I had I, I had to watch all of them. Well, until Beyond. Somebody could just go into Star Trek Beyond, and you do get a beginning, an end, and a middle. You know, like a normal story. That said, you know the movie is going to be the worst Star Trek movie of the reboots uh, financially, and so it's probably going to be evidence that, while from an artistic standpoint, everybody can applaud Justin Lin. Uh, it's not gonna. It's it, it. It really looks like it proves Marvel correct. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on what we're trying to accomplish. You know, do we want a movie that's just good, or do we want, you know, enough seats filled every single time? It's not like I mean, I haven't looked at the numbers, but it's not like Star Trek Beyond like failed, uh, necessarily. Uh, it's just not as big as the other two released was, right? Like, it wasn't a bomb, right? Yeah, correct, yeah. It just wasn't as big as the original or uh, Into Darkness. So, so, I guess one of the other things I was having going back through, I mean, we can l- just let you uh, rattle off different things you feel about Star Trek Beyond since I was too lazy to go watch it. I spent most of my time uh, getting through the first two again. Uh I was doing star spotting because it's sometimes, you know, it's hard to think about it. Like, you know, especially with Marvel releasing a movie like every year with something going on, you know, between one of the franchises. Star Trek was 2009 into darkness was 2013, you know, seven years since the first uh, Star Trek reboot came out. And Mm -hmm. looking at star spotting, you have Chris Hemsworth as George Kirk. So Thor is Kirk's dad, which is great. Yeah. Uh, Winona Ryder is Spock's mom, yeah. uh, and not not there long enough for it to really matter. And I got excited because you know, rewatching it right now as I just finished up Stranger Things, Winona Ryder made my day. Actually, having a resurgence because the Star Trek thing is a throwaway role, really. I mean, it's right. it's great that yeah. she got in it, but she kills in Stranger Things. Uh, yeah. So I was I was excited for that. Excited for Winona Ryder not having to shoplift things anymore. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, Tyler Perry. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, Carl Urban is a weird one as Bones in the three movies. I I heard he wasn't planning on doing the Beyond, but they convinced him to do it. Yeah. Uh, He's so good in, like, three things, but then, like, he's not good at anything else, you know? Like, he's amazing as Bones. He was good in, what, Dread? But then Doom was terrible. Not his fault. I mean, yeah, it's still his fault. I mean, what about red? Yeah, I like them in red. Yeah, I mean, it, it's my point is he seems like he's knocking these roles out, and he gets to be more than just a run-of-the-mill character actor. 
but there hasn't been anything where it's like, yeah, let's put Carl Urban as the lead here. Let's 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 let that happen. Uh, just doesn't seem to be. Hopefully he stay. I'm what I'm saying is hopefully he stays in his lane. I don't want to see Transformers Four or whatever spinoff they plan on doing to try to match the Marvel universe. I hope they do Beastformers. But if they do Beastformers, do not let Carl Urban show up. Or Beast Wars, not Beastformers. That's what it should have been called. Well. In, a, in any case. <laughs> I don't have good points. I just want to yell about I'm things. Saying, yeah, if, you're, if you're trying to continue the overlap with Star Trek and Marvel, uh, Idris Elba was in both. He was Thor's gatekeeper guy. Yeah. I mean, he's in Beyond. And uh, obviously Zoe Saldana. Yeah. She, you know, she, she's, she's an alien woman in like every movie. Yeah, I, every single one. You're right. Uh, Star Trek uh, Into Darkness, you had... Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch playing yep, Doctor Strange. Yes. I will, actually, that's a good transition because one of the things I was mad at in the movie is mm-hmm. obviously Khan is supposed to be uh, genetically engineered to be superior to the humans. Uh, but they picked Benedict Cumberbatch, which if you've seen the Doctor Strange outtakes of them like they do, that's like where CGI would make them jump and look cool. He looks like he's never played a sport in his life. Uh, he is just this lanky, awkward guy that doesn't know how to jump. Like he doesn't know jumping or landing. And you give him the benefit of the doubt because like maybe he's doing it because he knows it's going to be weird on the CGI. So even though he looks awkward without the CGI, he's like, this is how you look awesome with CGI. Maybe he just knows more than I do, but he looks like an idiot. And so there's a moment in the movie where Khan and Chris Pine are about to attack and they're, 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 or they're, they're about to jump the ship and do the, you know, fly through space and be idiots and somehow make it to the other ship. Uh, they start doing that and Khan gets in a weird like crouch position like ready to jump and Chris Pine like mimics him and he's trying to do the same thing like yeah that's a great idea Chris Pine you the athletic action star need to make yourself look like Benedict Cumberbatch the guy who should never be an action star and I just laughed hysterically for no like that that made my day I was just laughing because I'm like I know Benedict Cumberbatch is not athletic in the slightest so it was funny to me like that's the guy we should mim- we should mimic his abilities. Look like some weirdo with your arms flailing through the air as you go running. Good plan. Good plan. Oh, oh, wow. I it just he shouldn't be an action star. They should. You're just torching this guy as if it's like a um, ninth grade boys locker room. <laughs> no, but I mean, there's supposed to be a. Sus- oh, you suck at kickball. There's supposed to be a suspension of disbelief. I, I, I can't do that when they're making me think Benedict Cumberbatch is supposed to be in any way athletic. Like, it's not happening, y'all. You're not tricking me. <laughs> that was the best criticism I had for the Star Trek Into Darkness. I didn't, I didn't have much else. Well, all right. I guess that's... I was mad when uh, Spock became uh, basically robotically uh, stupid for comic relief at the beginning of the movie. Like... It's easy to go down that route and to make Spock, you know, it's like he's being overly logical and everybody around him's like, well, you sound like an idiot because you're doing that. Uh, mm. They didn't do that in the first film. Uh, he's smart enough to have interactions. And it's not like he's just for the first time interacting with humans. He understands yeah, the, how they. The, yeah, you're right. No, all of a sudden in the second one, he does have like Asperger's. Yeah, for, it, for it happens very quickly. And I was like, it was so good in the first one. They didn't do that. They made him smart. And then all of a sudden he's a fucking moron in the second one. Like he's this dumb savant. And it's like, God damn it. Why would they do that? They, they made it through a whole movie just fine. But all of a sudden wheels fell off. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that's all I have. Do you have anything else on Star Trek? Uh, I I think uh, the Star Trek Beyond kind of went a little too far in the zero G fights or the gravity kind of going haywire fights and like three or four times it felt like it was like oh now the ship is sideways oh now people are upside down and then towards the end oh we're in zero G all over again and I guess there was never enough reason to be zero G in any of the Fast and the Furious movies so then Tristan Lynn is like, oh, I have all these zero-G fight ideas I need to unload in this movie. I mean, you never know if you get another shot. Usually, if you fuck it up, they don't give you the movie again, unless you're Zack Snyder. So, I mean, Justin Lin had to take advantage. 
with all the subtlety and grace of a hyena, you transition to Zack Snyder. I, I'm just going to keep dropping it in all of the time. I mean, we, we, we ran out of stuff to talk about on Star Trek, so unless you have any more, we can jump to the abomination that is Zack Snyder's directing. I'm, I'm just kidding. I wasn't as upset with those movies as uh, some other people are. But the next thing we'll talk about, you're right, terrible transitioning. Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, leading to the movie that's coming out this Friday, Suicide Squad, which it sucks because Suicide Squad, I, I think it mostly stands alone. We'll see Batman have his appearance in the film, but mostly uh, Batman versus Superman was a trailer for Justice League. So, yeah, it's I, I watched both Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman for this podcast, and I really didn't need to. It, it, it warped my mind, but... You you have a hot take on Suicide Squad. Uh, let's let's hear about it. Let's hear about your Jared Leto hate. Well, all right. There, there's a lot of the hot takes going on with Suicide Squad, and there's some problems that, you know, how you can critic how can you criticize a movie before you've seen it? Well, you look at the trailer, and if the trailer has fundamental problems, it just doesn't bode well for the movie itself. So, in the first trailer, when we're talking. Uh, about how do we how do they justify all these villains coming together? The line is, you know, making people a go against their interests is what I do. Yeah, but that doesn't answer the fundamental question on humanity of how do you make bad people come together. It's just saying that's my job. That's like saying if I asked you how did you run forty miles per hour and you said it's my job, that doesn't answer the question. Yeah, and but so, if your job is to be Usain Bolt then it answered its own question. And I think that's the issue is you're looking at it as like no con you're looking at it with no context, but the context is she is some sort of politician who is making a decision that's out of her element. Actually the answer should be bad because she's making a bad decision. She is putting together these bad guys and she thinks because as a politician, she has made people go against their own best interest for so long that obviously she has what it takes to make this work and guess what we find out i don't know i haven't watched the movie yet it's you know limited premiere at this point but my guess is it doesn't go very fucking well that would be my guess well what we do know is in that will smurf can come back later and be like so we're some kind of suicide squad ha ha he does the big willy style thing ha ha (laughs) and then you read uh uh, uh, yeah, 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 ha, 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 yeah. You got a better Will Smith squad. impersonation Su- than I do. Suicide Squad, ha, 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 yeah, 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 Miami, ha, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't think Will Smith has his own uh, tracks on uh, this movie. And actually, one of your criticisms on the movie was the trailer soundtrack, which none of the songs are actually part of the movie soundtrack. Uh, quite strange. God help us. But uh, well, it's, it's the idea of... Uh, connecting something that you know everybody thinks is cool and then saying, oh, we're next to that, so then we must be cool. It was, it's no different than a politish, politician being like, oh, everybody's talking about Pokemon Go. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about Pokemon Go so you can associate me with something cool. And they did the exact same thing with Bohemian Rhapsody. And knowing that, of course, this demographic is you know, going to like Bohemian Rhapsody, so they just play like two minutes of the damn song and just be like, oh, look how cool we're going to be knowing that our fans are going to sing along to this song. I think part of the other part is I think you you keep wanting to take the cynical look at it. I think, you know, what that that's one of the things is uh, your your post on your website. Uh, what, what What is the name of the site again? I was writing. Right? Writes like clockwork. Writes like clockwork. You can check that out. Uh, Nick has some uh, pretty interesting musings on his blog there. But. One of the things that you point to is that they want to be dark and edgy. And I think, you know, that's always accurate to some degree with what they're, they're trying to do. Uh, you know, watching Man of Steel and uh, Batman vs. Superman trying to do a Nolan-esque knockoff. Uh, that's definitely kind of what their aim is. But with Suicide Squad, I don't know if that's really the case. This movie should be much more comedic than we've seen. 
but it's comedic about dark elements. You know, it's a bunch of villains getting together, and we're still supposed to laugh at it. Yeah. So in playing Bohemian Rhapsody, one of the things that they're trying to do is they get that same kind of loose nature that you get when you get drunk in the back of a New York taxi and start singing Bohemian Rhapsody. Not saying I've done that, but I have done that. Uh, and it is annoying. But I'm saying even their jokes end up uh, not making any sense or, uh, within the context of their world. So when you have you know their zinger of Harley Harley Quinn uh, breaking a ju- jewelry case or something to take a necklace, and they're like, "What the hell is wrong with you people?" And she's like, "What? We're the bad guys." In another trailer, you have Will Smith reminding them, "You know, hey, don't forget, we're the bad guys." You have you know uh, every trailer like telling the audience, "Hey, we're the bad guys," in a very winking way. Of like, hey, you're gonna like us because we're subversive, and I find that really just cheap and easy. That cheap and easy seems to be how you describe a lot of what uh, DC has put out, uh, at least trailer-wise. Uh, you had an argument on your blog, RightsLikeClockwork.com, about the both trailers for the Suicide Squad and for. Batman v Superman, and in Batman v Superman, you were upset that uh, Lex Luthor had the line, uh, what's the oldest lie in America, Senator, and he follows it up with a a fun little, uh, the devils don't come from the hell below, but from the skies above. Uh, Why'd you take uh, offense to that quote? It's like, okay, what other devil came from the sky? If if you're talking about Superman, because you're Lex Luthor and you think that Superman's evil, that's fine, that's one. But what, what's the other one? In, in this kind of lack of understanding of an own theory or philosophy is very frustrating because then it goes back to what you were saying. Uh, they think they're dark and gritty or more intellectual or smarter than the Marvel movies, but ultimately they have nothing to say. Having watched Batman vs. Superman, do you retract uh, your whole thing you just said against that quote? Not the whole thing, because I know they changed it in the movie. The trailer wasn't, it was different. Of course, it was different uh, chopped and cut from the trailer from the movie. So well, I know they changed it. In the, in the movie, he says, you know what the oldest lie is in America, but she interrupts him. He doesn't answer. He then says his weird little line about the devil's coming to Scott, which, yes, you're right. It doesn't have any application to anything other than Superman, or in this case, most of the movie is posited around the idea that Lex Luthor is a short of sort of uh, Nietzsche atheist who doesn't believe that there should be a god. And in this case, rather than saying God doesn't exist anymore, we've killed God uh, spiritually, intellectually, philosophically, he sees an actual god in Superman and wishes to kill him himself. So you have all of those themes at play. They don't go very well, and most people don't even pay attention to it. It's badly written and badly acted out but he's not saying that that's the oldest lie in america he says it later in the movie and the oldest lie is that uh power can't uh can be innocent and in this case that is a much better theme that can apply to a lot of things still not great uh it was very similar to at some point uh right before superman takes off to go fight batman he says no one stays good in this world. A great ripoff of uh, you die a hero, live long enough to see yourself become a villain. But at least in that context, your argument doesn't really hold up. Now, you could change it to uh, that was a terrible uh, piece of philosophizing by Lex Luthor. But that's not the argument that he makes in the film. Uh, even in the trailer, actually, they didn't change it too much. It just when you hear it, you think that that's what he's answering. But in actuality, it's not something else uh but yeah that's the best i have that's my best defense of batman versus superman is your blog post argument is wrong okay the movie is still terrible all right that blog was again from a year ago yeah from the trailer and, and i just wanted you to and I, the movie to own itself it. displayed dozens of more problems that were bigger than that which were so some of, what were Zach some of the problems Snyder, Zack snyder can't have an interesting visual without a dream sequence and so he pumps Batman v Superman full of dream sequences and so that characters shoot awake every 20 minutes you know because the last thing that just happened was apparently a dream uh, th- that's how I was throughout the entire movie was I shot awake yeah, <laughs> after a dream sequence 
that's pretty fair. And then the you know down to the title where you know, talking about Batman v Superman, it's like that's what you use in a court case, which would have actually made for a better movie because I have this image of Batman and Superman in some kind of small claims Judge Judy type courtroom. Batman, of course, the neck brace on, and he just shuffles some papers for his opening argument. You know that would be a pretty sweet movie. Uh, it would be so much better. Have you have you been working on that script, Nick? Do you have any offers on that on that script? Uh, yes. All right, great. Uh, I don't know. I got I get annoyed by very odd things like the Lex Luthor character. You know, putting it all together, like I said, you know, he he has this sort of pseudo philosophy that if you aren't paying attention, you don't really notice it. Mostly because it's not very coherent throughout most of the film. Uh, I wanted to like it. I wanted to like Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. I know everybody was so mad going into it. I love to play devil's advocate. So when everybody was saying how bad it was, I was like, all right, let me try to find the redemptive qualities. And as with most Jesse Eisenberg uh, movies, it never quite plays. I know what he's trying to do, and it doesn't end up working. We could go to uh, the Now You See Me movie where he needs to be a slick magician, you know, and he kind of has an act of illusion on his side. And... It doesn't work. He's not very good at being cocky. Uh, his best version of that was probably in Social Network, and even that had its own flaws. Uh, he's He is probably best at doing the kind of geeky, uh, anxiety-riddled role. And there were parts of uh, Lex Luthor that he kind of let that show a little bit. And it, it, that, w- that was the good scenes that he did. But that wasn't the character, so it didn't play out that way. He was... He was cocky and you know the 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 creepy jolly rancher scene where he's making the deal with the guy to figure out what to get and he puts the jolly rancher in his mouth and it was at that moment i just completely gave up on it and i couldn't even try to defend uh his efforts as lex Luthor. but i i felt like besides that if they got rid of the jolly rancher scene i would have just been like all right i know what he tried and it's okay but it seemed like he was just getting taken to task for it uh you know, before the movie came out. I don't know if that was because everybody was so dead set on having Brian Cranston come in as Lex Luthor or whether it was because he had the Comic-Con little meltdown thing where he uh, compared it to a Holocaust uh, when the people... You didn't you didn't see that? Uh, I, I, I don't know if that was what, after they had already filmed this movie, but he had an appearance at Comic-Con where he had described, you know, having the fans coming up and asking him questions and whatever else. He said it felt like uh, what he imagined a holo- the Holocaust felt like. Uh, so I, not an exact quote, but still not out of context. That's pretty much what he said. And I assume it's from the idea that he's filled with anxiety and he's in a room full of thousands of people at the biggest stage in San Diego. And that makes sense. And I, I, but, you know, you have to know that you don't get to compare it to the Holocaust. You just know that. As you grew up in this country long enough, you got it. Do not make the Holocaust reference. Unless somebody actually died. Unless there is an entire group of people dying. Don't make the Holocaust reference. But he did. And that kind of started getting a negative thing to Jesse Eisenberg. It was around the time he did an interview. I think this was after uh, Now You See Me because he was doing a card trick. But he had this interview with uh, this reporter lady who uh, she was doing these little jokes. And he kind of got a little snippy. But I think it was mostly like he was trying to do a back and forth joking thing. But she got really upset at him. And having watched it, I still can't tell you who was in the wrong. Uh, sorry, I don't have that clip ready to play. But go look th- after this podcast, go look it up. Uh, there was a clip of Jesse Eisenberg uh, is shitty to a reporter. If you Google that, you'll probably find the video. Uh, but there was a couple things that, like, all in a row that kind of, you know, it's like Jesse Eisenberg was kind of on, on a roll before that. You know, he had Zombieland social network for better or for worse that gave him a more positive image you know he, he kind of uh, was getting his name out there uh but after that it's kind of seemed like everybody was sick of jesse eisenberg then you get hit with american ultra and you get hit with him doing this kind of uh weird slapstick version of lex luther and yeah he's kind of at his low point right now if you were buying jesse eisenberg stock uh you would have lost a lot of money by now i don't know i, I i'm still i still think he all He's almost good, and that's the worst part. Is he's never like totally bad. He's almost good, but it's clearly not there. So in like two years, he can be in a Tarantino film and have a career resurrection. I, probably that 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 does sound like something. And Tarantino would know the exact little role to put him in to only let him uh, accentuate what he's good at. And so yeah, that that might be something that happens. But he's kind of at a low point. I can't imagine another movie coming out that's like it goes well for him. That'd be what I what I say. I don't I don't 
Don't see it working out. Uh, I was looking at other things that were so bad with me. I was mad at uh, the how the they made the newspapers look like they work in Batman versus Superman. Uh, like at telling Clark to go get like the sports story, and Lawrence Fishburne is just like rattling off headlines. Like that's not how they assign story ideas. You don't give a headline. Like how does he know how long the headline should be? The paper isn't ready for print yet. You figure out headlines based on how much space you have, jackass. I was I was really upset at that. Sorry, journalists uh, coming out at me. Uh, yeah, that was that was bad. Laser eyes, the the laser vision that the character had, it looked terrible. Like it was probably better in Lois and Clark, Dean Kane in the '90s, uh, oh, looking than it was in this movie. How are they getting worse at CGI? Can anybody explain that to me? It's all about being lazier. Yeah, uh, that makes cheaper. sense. Sometimes you know you spend you know x dollars on the on it the first time next time around you don't have that much money so you just try to do the same thing with you know two hundred dollars yeah i just never made oh the whole uh i'm not real optimistic about justice league or the whatever they're calling the justice league extended universe is that what they're calling it? It's not just the DC Extended oh, Universe? Maybe, oh, maybe it's DC Extended Because I think it's for all of it. And oh, it's just Justice League is that first intro to make it like the Avengers. Oh, okay. You're not excited for Dark Side coming in? You're not excited for the whole build-up to uh, Batman vs. Superman? I mean, that was, what, that was what most of it was about, right? Like, you get to the end of the movie and you get Lex Luthor's cryptic uh, bell-ringing thing at the very end of the, the movie where he says, you know, the, they're, you know... I don't know what the hell he said. Something about bells ringing. Does his Me little. He's, he's talking about Dark Side coming, and Dark Side is essentially in the DC uh, universe. He's uh, basically Thanos. So who hasn't shown up in Marvel movies for like twelve? That movies. that might he just, be. How he just d- keeps saying, "Oh, excellent! All is going according to plan." Like twelve times. Yeah, because all is acor- going according to plan. It hasn't changed yet. Uh, no, uh, do you think DC can overtake Marvel just simply by actually showing this mega villain that, like, in in Marvel movies, like, we're, like, 30 movies in, and they're, like, Thanos is still, like, good, Infinity Gems, and Darkseid just appears in, like, the third DC uh, Extended Universe movie? He's just already there? No, because the movies just simply aren't as good. Like, I'm not saying Captain America Civil War was great, but... It, it at least had a level of good that the Batman and Superman movie didn't have. Didn't you used to be the guy that always told me ambition was more important than just making the better movie? Like, it's better to at least try something and then fail than Not it always. is to make the same uh, craptastic film that everybody loves. DC is making the same craptastic film. I mean, it's, it's no, it's just the same crappy film, but it has the ambition to be this dark and gritty thing. Like, yeah. I don't no, know how you doesn't. can watch. No, mi- it doesn't have. It does not. That it does not have ambition. I with all the themes that Zack Snyder tries to cover, but yeah. instead just blurts them out randomly. Yeah, that's not ambition. There's no effort. I he's putting an effort. He's just not good. No. All right. Well, you'll you'll, you'll know when he puts an effort. No, no, I've seen him put in effort. I saw him. Uh, Watchmen was another one that was like on the cusp of being good. It made it was more interesting. I, but that was another one where he took an exact uh, story from the Watchmen, and he put it to film, and a few things fell off, but mostly he found a way to tell that story. In the case of Man of Steel and... Maybe he can't direct actors. Maybe he has a, his own vision, is a, it's an idea for imagery or visuals, but he just can't direct actors. It's quite possible, and you would think they'd get somebody in there to help him kind of pull that off, and at this point they haven't really done it, but maybe that's what they did in Justice League. Maybe Ben Affleck, after all of that terribleness of people yelling, maybe Ben Affleck got Zack Snyder to concede a little power, because at the very least, even if Justice League isn't good, the trailer looks better than all the trailers for the other Zack Snyder films. So, I mean, you can have hope. Hope that maybe Ben Affleck bitching and whining enough finally got that to happen. I don't know. But it does look better at the very least. And even Suicide Squad, I mean, I don't know. I, I trust David Ayer more than I trust Zack Snyder. So I'm hoping that this is good. Keeping my fingers crossed. 
We'll see what happens. Uh, I think we've got through enough of the 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 DC Extended Universe. Now we're going to jump to another topic that we're not very good at because, I mean, I don't know about you watching television shows, but I hate things people like, so I ignore them. Even if they're good, I'll wait till it's over because I don't need people telling me about how much they love whatever show. I just don't like people. I'm a terrible person. Uh, we're going to talk about TV shows and the, the couple of shows that I've been into recently – uh, Stranger Things on Netflix original series came out I don't know like a month ago and I kept seeing like and this is one where I guess it goes against what I just said a bunch of people on Facebook were like Stranger Things it's so good you gotta watch it and by the 7th I'm like fine I'll watch it just so I know it's terrible 8 hours later I finished the series I fucking love it uh, got uh, yeah I think I was one of those people on Facebook I was like I was bored on Netflix and I didn't even you know, I didn't see any previews or anything. I just saw, it's like, oh, what is Stranger's, Stranger Things? And it was like, you know, the first day it had been released or something like that. And I remember watching it and thinking, it's like, wow, you know, this sheriff character in the 80s is a lot like Harrison Ford. And a lot of my reviews kind of came back to this point of him just being Harrison Ford. David Harbour. Uh, David Harbour, that's his name. Yeah, it's based he, on the he was in uh, Newsroom and then probably a couple other things, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Nothing too important, but uh, he was the rival uh, newscaster in uh, Newsroom, the guy that everybody jumped ship off of uh, Jeff Daniels' show to, to go mm-hmm. to his show. Uh, yeah, and he, he did good Newsroom, I think, you know, as much as you can put up with uh, Newsroom. And in Stranger Things, did great as the sheriff. Uh, Winona Ryder did great as the you know, grief-stricken the Joy, mom. Yeah, Joyce Byers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you have the kids. Normally, kids in shows and movies, I get pissed off so fast. And the kids were all, you know, eh, charismatic enough. None of them mm-hmm. tried to overact, and the director didn't force them to overact. He used each of the child actors to their ability and in scenes. And it was almost like three shows were going on at once. I mean this in a positive way, as opposed to sometimes we see it where it's kind of a mixed bag and nothing's, you know, coordinating, but you kind of had their little Goonies thing going on separately and they had their, its own atmosphere. Then you kind of have, you know, uh, David Harbor as the sheriff running around doing his kind of Harrison 40, uh, way of solving this mystery and, you know, beating up people to get information. Yeah. Uh, Winona Ryder in her own hysteria, you know, putting the lights up in the house and trying to communicate with, with her old, older kids kind of doing a freaks and geeks type. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Each one has its own thing and it found a way to work. It also was a show filled with influence and references to a bunch of older films. Basically I, I thought of stranger things as it was like what super eight and most of JJ Abrams television experience wanted to be, but failed miserably. I think Stranger Things knocked it out of the park. You had mystery, sci-fi, drama, and horror. You mixed all together well. You know, Spielberg references, uh, Ridley alien references. You get uh, a bunch of, uh, you know, Kubrick, uh, mostly visual, but then you also have, I mean, you can't think of somebody axing through a wall without thinking of Jack Nicholson in The Shining. So obviously when uh, that scene happened, not not giving away spoilers because I won't tell you how it gets there, but somebody axes through a wall. Uh I, I thought the casting was near perfect. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I remember thinking, I hope the show is good. And by the end of the first episode, which the first episode had an all-encompassing story to get you involved. Like, everything got set up, and you're an hour in, and you're like, Jesus, I want to know what happens. And the next thing you know, eight hours have gone by, and you finally have the answer. Uh, I had a friend that told me the ending was a little bit lackluster, and I agreed with him. Uh, I think mostly, though... You know, it was, it was a show that had perfect timing and rhythm, despite, like we mentioned, uh, four different things going on at once, and it found a way to be compelling consistently through that time. And whether you watched it in pieces or you did like I did, binge-watching all the way through, you never really got bored of it, and it kind of did lose steam in that last episode. But you also have to think, they're telling a very uh, complete story. It's like an eight-hour movie or an eight-hour miniseries, and by the end of it, they still have to prepare, assuming they're going to get a second season. And so the ending still has to, like every other show, has to find a way to lead you to the next season. So I think the ending, 
And some shows I would like, God, that's a terrible ending. I just thought, well, you know, it's like you tried and it didn't quite work, but I can see where you could lead it to the next season. And so it depends on how the second season starts that'll make me decide whether the ending of the show uh, was good or bad. Uh, and yeah. in that, all right, did yeah, you have I mean, something you're talking about like the very end, like, you know, among the last scenes, the cliffhangers of this first season. So yeah, it didn't make me feel like I've been cheated in a sense of like lost or something like that, where it's like, this could not possibly end right now. So if they're, if they make no more episodes, it's like, okay, it still stands strong. Uh, so it's not that big of a cliffhanger, but it does leave the door open a, a little bit. But I think what was more disappointing was the climax of uh, the last episode. Again, without giving away too many spoilers, you're talking about you set up these rules of different worlds and like their interactions that I felt like didn't pay off in a way that I was expecting. I mean, not unlike if you could imagine the movie Frequency. Okay. Yeah. That old Dennis Quaid uh, movie. You know, that ending you had multiple ways that the two worlds were interacting between the present and the past. Uh, when you change stuff in the past, it changes you know, the present. The present is informing the past. And it goes back and forth uh, as kind of a dance that ultimately Str Stranger Things, while it worked, it was serviceable, it didn't do anything extraordinary. And I don't know if that's a fair criticism to say, oh, it's like, okay, it landed you know, a backflip and I'm disappointed that it wasn't a quadruple backflip. I would say I'd, I, I love the show and I'd probably agree with that. There was like, it depends on what you go in thinking. Uh, but when I'm comparing it to the other television shows that I'm trying to get into and stuff that I can watch for any time at all and make it through, I mean, this show knocked me out of the park, but in terms of like, you know, a full story, I definitely got to the end. Yeah, there was there was some things where it was like, it was writing a lot on little Easter eggs and different things. You know, it's like, oh, that's you know that was from this movie. You know, whatever. Hmm. Uh, having the kind of I, I I thought it had an amazing uh, use of uh, nostalgia, where a lot of times, you know, if you have an '80s period piece movie, whatever, uh, they over eightyfy it. It becomes you know it's just like a bunch of wham sequences. <laughs> and they People didn't like warmers. Yeah, they didn't do that. Like each, it felt like it could have been any time period, but we knew it was the eighties because of the handful of things that you saw, you know, but it didn't like focus on them. It didn't waste our time. And mm -hmm. so in, it, it came together as what I would think is a perfect show that like, where we're talking about people who love critically acclaimed television. We're talking about like breaking bad, whatever else, whatever else, uh, but not like big bang theory. I think this show was made in a way that maybe half of the Big Bang Theory crowd could watch the show and still be entertained, just like uh, people who consider themselves more connoisseurs of, you know, critical hit television. Uh, it didn't blow me away anyway. Like, it's not watching, like, season one of The Wire, but it is well-made and can be both a critical hit and still be functionally a mainstream show. Yeah, as much but, as you I mean, can do with the content. Mainstream. Mainstream. I mean, because there's just like any Netflix shows, it feels like, or a lot of the uh, premiere shows, it's, it, syndication would be impossible, not just because it's on one channel and being exclusive in that way. But uh, I don't see how you could watch just one episode or watch the episodes out of order. It's not like big bang theory in that way granted there might be arcs and developments from year to year but the episodes themselves aren't standalone i think that's true and i guess it's unfair to compare it to a 30 minute uh situational comedy uh i'm trying to think of another show like you know a prison break or, or in this case we were comparing it to lost lost was yeah. a way to compare i think it does everything that lost tried to do but better and usually when you do it better, you lose a lot of kind of the mainstream audience. I think in this case, if you had it as a show that was on ABC once a week, it would be able to craft a mainstream audience in the way that Lost did. But still not have me pissed off at the end. And that's, and that's fair, but I think 
it, it holds to uh, the binge watching model, which I've never really been excited about uh, because you're telling people, that, oh, I watched it in 10 hours. I watched it over this weekend. But if somebody else hasn't watched it, then you really can't talk about it at all. And there's less of a community because of the binge watching element of it. And everybody binge watches, you know, separately. Whereas if you are forced to watch episodes one at a time, you build that kind of community. You allow that discussion to happen. And so you get uh, like Game of Thrones, where it's like, you know, you get weeks that are just focused on hold the door, you know, which is just, you know, an ending to one episode somewhere in the middle of the season. But everybody, the whole world has to wait another week to figure out more. It's not, you know, a season ending. It's just an episode ending. It's a water cooler moment that fans of the show can talk about and speculate on the future, speculate on the next episode. Ooh, what do you think is going to happen in the Battle of the Bastards? And it's like, okay, that's the fun part of a show to me, rather than being like, oh, I need to watch the next episode. And then, oh, I good, I can't. And I just watch the next episode. Especially with comedies, you know, as much as I might like BoJack Horseman or something like that, you know, comedies that I can binge watch, after two hours, you're laughed out. It doesn't really matter what the show is. You can't just laugh at a comedy for ten hours. Yes, you can. You've done it numerous times, Nick. <laughs> Smoke more pot. So, uh, I, know, hey, that's not fair. The difference between... Like, you know, just flipping TV and be like, oh, look, Friends is on. And it doesn't really matter what the episode is. If you caught it at the beginning of the episode, you can watch, you know, the 20 or 30 minute block and just be done with it. That's fair. I, I feel like a lot of times, though, watching TV shows, I don't really want to do the, you know, watch an episode and jump on Twitter. It's a lot of the reason why I ignore uh, Game of Thrones is because I don't want to be a part of some just lazy sense of community. It's like, go actually hang out with people. You know, that's like an old man like saying that. doing right now. Yeah, well, I mean, we're at least talking to each other, you know, whether it's through technology. It's not It's not some old stodgy thing like, oh, you guys are using Skype. It's the idea that we're actually talking to one another and not just tweeting random things and feeling like we're together. You know, a lot of the times on Twitter especially where it's like the, you're not even talking to people you've ever met. Uh, you know, at least on Facebook, it's your friends with quote marks around it. Uh, I just, that's not as appealing to me. And sometimes I like to do it. Some, sometimes I'll jump on, you know, I, I think I'm more event friendly, you know, like if uh, Oscars are happening or if there's some you know, Super Bowl, whatever, that's fun to get on Twitter and to kind of see where the conversation goes. But n- in terms of a show, like I'm watching the show for the content. I'm watching for how it moves me, not how other people think it moves them and me feeling some kind of sense of community and i understand it like i uh you know we all miss that kind of uh true water cooler uh type of television back in the day where you only had four channels and you're going to work and that's the only thing you're talking about and that's the only way you you get these short conversations between your boss telling you to get back to work uh you make it sound like we worked nine to five in the 80s i I mean even when i was in middle school watching 24 you would watch 24 on, you know, some Sunday night or Thursday night or whatever. And then say next day at school, you would talk about that episode. Sure, not with everybody, but with like But once, it, once again, yeah, you're talking about being at school talking to these people. And mm-hmm. that doesn't happen as much. And even in jobs, you know, it depends on what job you have. But it's not as often that you're sitting there at a place where you have, you know, 10 to 20 people who have similar interests as you. You're going to be closer to that on kids that you grew up in the same town and went to school with. You're going to have a lot of things in common. But at work, you're going to meet a lot of people that you don't really know that well and that have a bunch of varying interests. And now it wouldn't if there was less TV. So I would say in this way, I like the way that Netflix works where I can find a show that interests me. I can binge watch it, watch it at my own pace, watch it whenever I want, knock it all out. And then at some point, when I do have a water cooler moment, I have that opportunity to talk to somebody about how much I liked a given show. I have knocked it out and I'm ready to go, and I experience it how I want to experience it. And then we have something truly in common that we like the show. Not that we need it each day. Like, I didn't jump on the Game of Thrones bandwagon because I needed people to talk to me. And that's what I feel like happens way too often. If you binge watch a show... And I binge watch a show, and we didn't watch it 
together over a period of time, then it's like we both just watched a 10-hour movie. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Okay. Well, okay. Just I don't it, know. it loses something. Because then... It, lose it, it loses it? something, but it gains something. That's how everything works, Nick. It's give and take. Why you got to know this. Why make 10-hour movies, then? Why even make... Because cause we don't have time to watch a 10-hour movie. But do we have time to watch installments that are over 10 hours that we can watch at the different paces that we can build in for ourselves? You know, if it's broken into these uh, installments, and I, I tend to like some of these shows that don't have the restrictions of a commercial break and they're wrapping storyline around a commercial break, but they build it into this format and it's over time. And if it was, you know, if I was forced to watch 10 hours of it, there'd be like three shows that I'd watch, you know? But, but if, if there were just... If they, if they don't take advantage of the episodes, though, it's not like they don't ha they don't have concept episodes. You don't see like the strength of some episodes versus others. Yeah, Stranger Things is terrible because there's not a Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> it would have been pretty sweet. <laughs> you saying that winter thing? Episode? I would have liked it, but still, uh, I actually do like Thanksgiving episodes yeah, and uh, specialty yeah. episodes. But you it, when you have like these shows that are more self-contained in each episode then it allows more freedom for the writers or the actors the directors to do different things to take uh chances uh, to experiment more with the characters and change things up in All a right. way not just telling one story we don't have time to cover this because i know you got to go nick but we will get back into this specific thing next time we do a podcast if if in two weeks you're ready for it because on Mr. Robot I have something that follows up this idea this this kind of self-contained and the way it goes because season one of Mr. Robot was in a USA framework yeah they get they it doesn't look like any other USA show but wrapped around commercial breaks wrapped around cliffhangers at the end of episodes mid-season stuff it has all of those kind of uh you know standard fair uh TV show uh you know restrictions mm -hmm. season two they give uh, the showrunner Sam Esmail carte blanche he gets full control and we can see the difference in what is in season one versus season two and we can have this argument but it was good to have you on Nick thanks for coming on and bullshitting with me about terrible uh, Zack Snyder movies uh, thanks. thanks for having me and that is it for the tell me more podcast hope you guys didn't get too bored listening to that but go watch Stranger Things go watch Mr. Robot uh, watch the first two Char Star Trek movies. Nick is a little bit sour on the third one. He's uh, he's up and down on it. I haven't watched it yet, so I can't tell you. Uh, just ignore the Zack Snyder movies, but you can go watch Suicide Squad, and we'll see what happens with Justice League.